I don't remember much from my days in kindergarten. I'm assuming that I had a lot of fun. I think I learned a ton of things at school. Having just graduated from Eager Beaver Preschool the year before, I was ready to take on the world. Or at least tying my shoes and learning the alphabet. I mean, you got to start somewhere. I was the eagerest beaver out there. Then I got to kindergarten, and I, and I don't remember much from kindergarten, but, but one memory in particular really just sticks in my brain. It's such a vivid memory. At my kindergarten, we had these things called letter books, and we'd you know, have one little booklet for each letter, and it was great because we got to take those, those letter books home and do homework like the big kids. And I loved those things, those letter books. But one day, something went terribly wrong. My teacher gave me back one of my letter books, and I was looking through it, and I saw something unspeakable. There, on the page next to one part of my homework, I saw a big red X. The, the image of that crimson red ink on the page is burned into my mind. I remember exactly what it looked like on the page. It's, it's insane that I remember this. And I remember thinking, my teacher must hate me. Look at this big red X. What am I going to tell my parents? I, I'm pretty sure I cried. It's what I usually did back then. I've seen a lot of crimson red ink since that day in kindergarten. I like to think I've finally come to grips with uh, not getting so emotional when I see the big red X's. We've all come to realize by now that when you get things marked wrong on your, on your homework or a test, the point was not to shame us. The point of that, that red ink is to point out our mistake so that we can learn from it. This is the kind of correction we call constructive criticism. And we can't really make a change for the better until we first realize where we, where we went wrong. So getting that, that red X, the red ink, points out our mistake so that hopefully we'll, we won't make that same mistake again. That's what constructive criticism is. But here's the thing. We still don't like seeing red ink. Even when it's criticism that is constructive, we don't really like it. We don't like hearing we're wrong. We might get so stuck on hearing you're wrong that we refuse to make the necessary changes. And this is exactly what's going on in Jerusalem when the prophet Jeremiah talks to the people with some constructive criticism from the Lord. Jerusalem and its people needed some correction at this point. Uh, at the time when, when Jeremiah came to say these words from the Lord to the people of Jerusalem, they are being ruled by a king who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The king's name is Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim, not a, not a great guy. He exploited people. He only cared about himself and his own glory. He even shed innocent blood. Once, he had a prophet of the Lord 
named Uriah assassinated because he came and preached a message that, that he didn't want to hear. And that was probably the worst thing about Jehoiakim. He didn't trust God and he didn't trust in God's word. He, he loathed God's word so much that one time, uh, the prophet Jeremiah had a, one of his scrolls was being read to Jehoiakim. And as it's being read, he's taking it and cutting it piece by piece and throwing it in the fire. That's how much he cared about God and his word. And sadly, Jehoiakim's bad attitude toward God and God's word, it kind of rubbed off on his people. The people kind of had this flawed idea about having the temple in their city. They were really proud, really obsessed with the temple. They would go around saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. But they weren't even following the Lord to whom the temple belonged. Enter Jeremiah. He's got a message from the Lord and he steps right into the middle of the temple courtyard to announce it. He says to everyone, this is what the Lord says. If you do not listen to me and follow my law, which I have set before you, and if you do not listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I have sent to you again and again, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh and the city a curse among all the nations of the earth. A little background. Comparing the temple to Shiloh not a good thing. Shiloh was a place associated with destruction. Uh, before the temple was built in Jerusalem, Shiloh was one of two places where the people would go to worship the Lord. But Shiloh was overrun by enemies, plundered, ruined, because the people weren't obeying the Lord. He allowed that to happen. And so the people in Jerusalem, they're not enjoying this comparison between Shiloh and their temple. They, they kind of get angry because Jeremiah is also, he's talking trash about their city, Jerusalem. And so they, they respond to, to Jeremiah saying, why? Jeremiah, why would you say these things? How dare you come in here and say these things in the Lord's name? Jeremiah, this is the Lord's city. This is the Lord's temple. How dare you come in here and tell us God's presence is leaving us. We're his people. The people, they, they got so angry. The, the priests, the prophets, and, and all the people seized him and said, Surely you must die. The people's response just proved God was correct to call them out. They refused to change their ways. They would rather kill God's messenger than admit they'd done anything wrong. The people were, were too arrogant to realize that the Lord had every right to bring his city and his temple into ruin if, if his people aren't even following him in the first place. What was the point of the temple then? Maybe you and I don't have the, the same violent reaction toward God and God's messengers like the people of Jerusalem did. That's good. But we will struggle to take criticism from God's word, even when, though we know it's constructive criticism given to help us. 
And this could stem from a, from a misunderstanding about God. We know God is love, right? That is 100% true. God is love. Sometimes we might take that to mean that God will never say anything we don't want to hear. That if God really loves me, he'll let me do whatever I want. Well, that's not quite right. God loves us enough to discipline us. He loves us enough to to point out a bad path that we're on. He wants us to to change our ways, to be in line with his ways, because he knows his ways are best for us. And this is discipline 101, right? This is what discipline is. Uh, when, when you parents discipline your children, it's, it's not because you don't love them. Because you love them, you discipline them to teach them, to train them. This is constructive criticism done in love. Even if it's got to be tough love sometimes. As parents, you know what's best for your children even if they don't really understand that yet. Now, sometimes we might take the same path as the people of Jerusalem here. We might get so stuck on on having our sin pointed out, so stuck on on getting called out for being wrong, that we we fail to remember the reason for the rebuke, the, the point or the goal of the discipline. This is what Jeremiah runs into with his audience. I mean, things get so out of hand, the city officials have to come over and set up a proper trial. Jeremiah versus the crowd. And they give Jeremiah a chance to speak in his defense. He says, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the things you have heard. Now reform your ways and your actions and obey the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent and not bring the disaster he has pronounced against you. Jeremiah gives the purpose for the rebuke here. He's making it clear God does not want to bring his his people and his city into ruin. God wants them to reform, to to change their ways. And he would relent, not bring the disaster he pronounced through Jeremiah. It may not have looked like it, but this was constructive criticism. God wanted to point out where the people were going wrong, so they could leave that sin behind. So they could experience the compassion God's holding out to them. Leaving sin behind, though, it's way easier said than done. Even when we know God's giving constructive criticism because he loves us, because he wants to help us, we still have a hard time letting go of those old, familiar ways. There's usually some sins that we've kind of cozied up with, we've gotten really comfortable with. Sins that maybe when we first fell into them, we had really bad pangs of guilt. But maybe now, run into them so many times that the, the guilt's barely an afterthought. Bad habits? Really hard to change. And so, if you are a human, like me, Sometimes you might choose to not listen to God's constructive criticism, to cling to those, those old sinful ways. 
Sometimes we, we don't want to hear we're wrong. Refusing to change. This is a, a powerful temptation, one that, that leads us slowly away further and further from God and His ways. This is why God gives us the change that we need. Our refusal to change meets its match in God's will to change us. God, he does all the work of getting us to turn to him. God provides the reason to leave sin behind. God gives us the power and the motivation to follow his ways instead. He gives us the change we need by sending the Savior that we need. God's rebukes against sin, his, his law that points out where we need to make changes, it's all directing us to our Savior, to the one who actually can change our hearts. The solution for making real change, it has to be the gospel, the good news. The law has its place in guiding us how to change and guiding us in what the Lord's ways are. But the law itself doesn't have any power to allow us to make change, to stop sinning. It's got to be the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. It's got to be that gospel that allows us to actually make change. And it's a good change, a, a great change, change motivated by love, not by law. Change that draws us closer to our God and his ways. Jeremiah, he was also pointing the people to God's love. He wasn't just preaching doom and gloom to them. Jeremiah wanted the people to see that God was ready and waiting with his compassion. Remember again what he said? He said, reform your ways and your actions and obey the Lord your God then the Lord will relent. The Lord was holding out his compassion. He wanted to turn from the destruction that he pronounced against them. The, the people, they didn't have to suffer the ruin of their city and their temple. God had given them a door for grace. He left it wide open, a promise. He will relent. The people of Jerusalem, they just needed to stop and, and listen to ask why. Why is Jeremiah bringing this message of destruction against us? What are we supposed to learn? In this case here, it was some discipline. In this case, a harsh warning was needed to help the people avoid that dangerous downward spiral they were in. But the point was not just to bring vengeance and anger the point was that they turned to the Lord's compassion, his promise. He will relent. And God didn't have to relent. And the people didn't really deserve him to relent, but God could relent. Because he wasn't going to relent on his son. The coming Savior would bear the brunt of God's punishment on sin. The people didn't have to. 
God desired to gather them under his wings as his children. Remember that? That's the words that Jesus spoke in our gospel today. Jesus, he knew that not much has changed in Jerusalem since the time of Jeremiah. And you can almost hear him sighing as he speaks those words, the the words, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. And you, can't you just feel God's sadness in Jesus' words here? He only ever wanted Jerusalem to be safe and loved to be his children. They, just, they kept running away. God gave the people of Jerusalem so many chances. His, he is slow to anger, abounding in love. Jesus proves this to us. When the people refused to change their ways and kept running away from God, God went to them. God gave them the change they needed. He sent a Savior. And Jesus, as he ponders his trip to Jerusalem to die on the cross, he knows that Jerusalem's going to treat him the same way it treated many of the other prophets before him. Jesus was going to die. But he went there anyway. He died even for those who rejected him, even for those who refused to take shelter under God's wings. He died even for us who find ourselves refusing to change, clinging to old sinful ways. Jesus went anyway. Jesus went so that he could shelter us under God's wings. You realize that God doesn't wait for us to come running under his wings. He sends Jesus to extend the wings of God's love over us, claiming us as his children, loved and forgiven. And God offers this love before we ever even make a sign of changing our ways. Today, I hope you've come to see that God's love is present in both his compassion and in his discipline. Here, if, if the people of Jerusalem would not turn from their evil ways, then God was going to have to send that destruction on them as discipline to to make it clear how dangerous the path is that they're on. But God's love shines out in his desire to relent, in his capacity to show compassion. You know, acknowledging the red ink of sin in our lives is is the first step toward making a change. Got to acknowledge a mistake. But it's God's love his capacity to save and to change us that gives us the actual power to make a change. So what changes will we make? Maybe we'll take people's words and actions in the kindest possible way rather than immediately jumping to unfair conclusions. Maybe we'll, instead of indulging more and more in our own personal time, maybe we'll indulge more in family time more time in God's word. 
Maybe instead of lashing out at God when something in his word doesn't, doesn't quite fit with our human reason, maybe instead we'll, we'll thank him for a, a dose of constructive criticism to get us back on the right track. And even in the times where, where we refuse to change, realize that God never refuses to love and forgive you. A refusal to change meets its match. And God's will to change us. A refusal to change meets its match in our Savior and his unchanging love for us. Amen.